Barth, and this is the All Walks of Art Podcast, a lounge-like pub-style drinking show for creatives and artists from all walks of life. Find a comfy chair, pour your favorite beverage, and enjoy the show. Today, we are talking about the art of the bat. No, I'm not saying that our flying insect control creature is an artist. I'm talking about the DC comic icon, Batman. Oh, I thought this yeah. was about Louisville Sluggers. I know. I'm I not know. really prepared to. I know. But before we get into it, yeah. Paul's already jumped in. He's ruined my whole intake or intro. <laughs> so, you know, I can't go anymore. We are the dynamic duo, so to speak. I thought you were done. No, That's I'm, what she I, said. I was done enough. That's good enough. We don't need long intros. This is probably going to be <laughs> probably going to be a long episode anyway. I'm gonna to try to try to do my best no, to not talk not. forever and ever and ever about mm-hmm. Batman because I absolutely love it. But uh we are drinking a slightly modified version of a drink. Who come up with this? I don't know. I don't know. But the the modified version is a little heavier on the alcohol side, obviously. And uh, I used organic maple syrup. But it's called the Bruce Wayne. I didn't know even a cocktail existed. No. Are we going to drink it? We are. So What's in it? Go ahead and take a drink. I'll explain what it is. It's uh, three and a half ounces of iced coffee, black, and uh, one and a half ounce of bourbon. I'm using uh, Bullet bourbon in Paul's drink, and I'm using Woodford Reserve in mine, because I had had a couple of bullets last night, so uh, I wanted to try something different, see if the Woodford tasted any different, and there's uh, a quarter ounce to a half ounce of maple syrup to sweeten it up a little bit, and kind of gives it an, once you, and you shake it, you shake it in a shaker, and you you pour it out into the glass. I don't have a shaker, I just would just dump it in and stir it, and then put a big ice cube in it. Well, you need to get air into it, that's the whole point of a shaker, right, you just, it makes it good and cold too, so what do you think of that? Well, I didn't like it at first, the first drink, but the second and third, yeah, I kind of dig it. It grows on you. It does grow on you. The coffee flavor is not really strong enough for me, and I made the coffee really strong. I made it my way. I don't want to give away the brand that I use, but it's it's a French roast because we're not sponsored. If they wanted to throw some money at me, I might do it, but, you know, not that we're sponsored by the whiskey either, but, yeah. see. So you made this coffee, and it's just coffee. Yeah, just coffee. I made it last night, so it's, it's about, it's almost 24 hours old. And there's... How much coffee and how much whiskey is in there? Uh, three and a half ounces of black iced coffee. So you want to, once you make your coffee, just put it in the fridge. You could probably go get the, the store-bought iced coffee and probably be fine with it. But, you know, I just, I felt like making fresh coffee and stick it in the refrigerator, let it chill overnight. And I thought that'd be good enough. I like those. That, a, that, that drink will replace my morning uh, <laughs> cappuccino on the way to work. Right. I don't know. It's in 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 basic terms, it's about a two and a quarter to one ratio of whiskey to uh, well backwards. It's a uh, coffee to whiskey two and a two and a quarter to one, and then you just sweeten to taste with the um, you know maple syrup. Two and a quarter to one. That makes no sense to me, but that's fine. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> yes, yes. So, have you seen the movie? What movie? The The Batman, the new one with Robert. I've seen a lot of Batman. Pattinson. <laughs> oh, the sparkly vampire guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I had my, my reservations. I did. Really? Why? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if he'd be good for the part, you know. I didn't think so at first, but, you know, people didn't think Ben Affleck would be good. I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I need to start this episode with the fact that there are going to be spoilers in this show. Oh, yeah. It's been out a couple of weeks, but still. Yeah, maybe you're yeah. It just came out on Max. I seen it in the theater. So. Yeah, I did too. Uh, matter of fact, you mentioned it in one of the other episodes. Yep. It might have been the last episode that we we uh, published. Uh, we we rushed off literally as soon as the because we recorded late that day, mm-hmm. and Lisa and I took off uh, and went to see three the movie. hour movie. Yeah, didn't really feel like it. It didn't Not really. It didn't. There's a lot of people that you know uh, disagree with that. Some some just didn't get it. But I think that's that's the uh, the age we're living in. We're getting used to YouTube. We're getting used to you know, the episodic series mm-hmm. on on uh, the different streaming platforms. And we're, we're so used to having the, the hero's journey, so to speak, in an hour. Yeah. And when we sit down for three of them back to back, you know, it's like, uh, I just need to see see resolution. I need, I need to be done with this. And really, this movie didn't have a lot of resolution in it. <laughs> it it was uh, a very good setup movie, I thought, yep. for future movies. So Yeah, I enjoyed it. Overall, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I did too, but before we get too far, I mean, I'm, there's just so much to talk about. I'm going right. to do my best to not not go over it. I picked up the book. It's called The Art of the Batman. It's written by James Field. Uh, the forward was written by Matt Reeves. He's the director of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fantastic book. It's got a lot of concept art in it. It's got a lot of behind the scenes photos in it. The concept art as an artist just makes me jealous. Cause yeah. I look at it and I go, geez, I wish, I wish I could do that. I mean, really, cause they create something out of nothing really, mm-hmm. you know, and fantastic. I'll let you see that. Oh, check this out. It's thick. Yeah. You've not, you've not had a and chance hard. to even look at that. Right. No, I, I guess, I guess my, I, I had all this stuff on my mind before you got here to record this and i thought wow we'll talk about this we'll do this this is how i set to show up and of course nothing's coming out like that it never does all right but i'm very excited to see where we go with this conversation because uh in general i want to i want to kind of go over the music the concept art locations the cinematography and, and a little bit of the storyline because the writing is is pretty important to this movie i think uh, and matt reeves was a co-writer on it i can't remember Oh, I have that stuff written down somewhere. Um, in fact, I'm, I think if you dig a little deeper into the book, I gave you something that you can use to help remember names for this. What is it? Um, there's something in there for you, I think. Uh, it's a little, little something, something there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> there's an envelope there, and it says, to the Paul. Yeah. And it's got question mark. Yeah, it looks, looks like the Riddler did it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. pretty cool am i supposed to open this up yeah yeah it's got names of people because mm. i i won't remember any of the names and i'm kind of relying on you to to do that because i'm stupid you know he's he's opening an envelope folks he's got all kinds of oh. why is that <laughs> <laughs> now see this this is much better than it was yesterday is it because we're having a talk about it maybe or do you like the woodford better maybe that woodford I think the Woodford's better. I get a little bit more of the coffee flavor in it and it's shaking better all right there's a lot of notes here Am yeah. I supposed to remember this? Well, it's just to help you if you want to. I'm going to keep know. this envelope forever. Okay. It's got an ear welcome to. I mean, you can have it. Oh, I didn't. It, there was yeah. no option. And I'm going to give you a couple of these to take home with oh, you. Oh, sweet. These, these, little, these little coasters I picked up on Amazon that says, Welcome to the Bat Cave. So one of the a couple of concepts that I really want to talk about from, from the book have to do with Matt Reeves uh, in the forward. He mentions a drive to find meaning through art. And I find that. Very captivating as an artist, obviously, and as a creative. I think pretty much everybody listening to the show also has some sort of art that they do. And that's probably why you're listening to the show. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the thing about movies that get me more than anything else as a creative person is the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a team of creative people coming together to create something. You know, from the writing to the, the concepts and the, the process, the acting, the, just the everything. Effects, the editing, yeah, yeah, the yeah, computers, the... The the same the roadies basically yeah. too you know I mean yeah. there's just so much involved absolutely uh, the music the music is a big one oh yeah you know you if you've ever watched a movie without the score done you know just to see the the raw acting mm-hmm. it it's kind of boring you know and the the music does influence your overall uh, feel of it, it does so. yet con- you know in contrast No Country for Old Men was was able to pull that off with no music. It's weird. It is weird. It is. It is very weird. You threw me on a on a tangent there. I'm not really sure that I remember the sound design on that movie at all. Mm-hmm. Then I'm sitting there thinking about it. I mean, the obviously the dialogue was fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and the foley, you know, that they would throw in for the the car doors shutting and mm-hmm. the, you know the the part where he he blows up the door. Yeah, I inside. didn't even notice there wasn't music, but I I'd read about it. Uh, a while back, and they talked about how there was snow. Really? Yeah. I, I just did not catch that. Let's go ahead and talk about this for just a second, because there's, I want to talk about the cinematography, because the cinematography of this movie is probably the one thing that got me so excited. I remember my wife and I, when we first walked in the movie theater, uh, we were a couple minutes late. We were, yes, we were those people. But again, we did the podcast. Mm-hmm. I made a decision last minute and told It was her, late the movie had started, or you were late and... We the the movie was about two minutes into it. Oh, and so you missed the major major thing. Yes, I mean, yeah, which is fine because I I I purchased the movie too and I got it. And, well, when I watched uh, the Sixth Sense, I missed the first part where the guy comes in, and he shoots him, and everything. Yes. So I, I mean, I don't know that I would have put it together, but yeah. I didn't see none of that. And then yeah. I watched the movie, like, oh my god, it's just so I can't believe it. But then yeah. when you see it on video, it's like, would I guess that? But anyway, sometimes yeah. the first couple of minutes yeah, are yeah, very yeah. important. And this movie does need to be seen in the theater. So if, if you're listening right. to this you know, and you haven't seen it in the theater, please go. I know it's expensive for, for a lot of people, but you know, spend the $9 for the ticket, whatever it might be, to, to actually have a seat and watch it and find a good spot. You know, it, it's really important. We're going to get into why here in just a few minutes. But yeah, we're walking in and um, 
we sit down and one of the first things I noticed was, I mean, obviously the, the audio was impeccable and all the things that you would expect from a movie, but the look of it, mm-hmm. the look of it really, you know, just I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it going, it's, it's not right. Something's wrong, mm-hmm. but it's so beautiful, you know, and in the book, Matt Reeves actually talks about the look of the movie being beautifully imperfect. And that's probably the best way mm-hmm. to describe this movie. They went out and got vintage lenses uh, to specifically have that imperfect look, right? Hmm. And I'd read somewhere, I don't know how true this is because I haven't found it in, in this, the Art of the Batman book, but somewhere I read that they even went to Ari and said, you know, we need custom anamorphic lenses for this, you know, and, and I don't know how true that is. It kind of feels like it is true. Uh, you don't have the typical blue uh, highlights and, and flares that you get from an anamorphic lens, right, in this movie. They're, they're more yellow and, you know, congruent to the rest of the movie. And I, I don't want to throw all this out there at you because I, I feel like I've got so much in my head that I want to get out. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, trying to package it all really well. But one of the things that really made this movie stand out was the cinematography. and the dark and dirty look about it, the, the color tones, the, uh, the whole process. Uh, are you familiar with how they, how they shot this at all? No, I'm not a, I'm not a geek. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, I spent way too much. I enjoy the movie. I don't, uh, I yeah. try not to break it yeah. all down. Well, I, I felt like it looked, it had a, like a little bit of a similar look and tone and feel of seven, which is another mm-hmm. movie that I really like. And I felt like I didn't realize that, you know, the lenses and all that shit, because I was trying to enjoy a movie, but um, <laughs> I felt like it definitely... It I had enjoyed a, the movie, don't get me wrong, it had a, but that just added to it to me. You, you know? pushing, um, I, I feel like that the lens is a two lens, and they should have had a three, four, eight lens, because the Nikon is sucks. And Well, uh, it was a 2.85 to 1 ratio, and they were shooting on Ari. I don't know what that Lenders, is. I don't care either. But anamorphic lenses. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, that's cool. But I liked it. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like we always talk about and try to at home. If you do your job as an artist, they don't see the canvas and they don't see the paint. Yeah. They see the. They see it. Yeah. They don't hear the. They don't hear the Les Paul. You know. They don't hear the Marshall. They hear the music. Yes. You know? yes. And I'm not saying that gear really mattered in this movie, but. No, it's interesting, it, it, and I think it's, it's funny. I'll just like making fun of you. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So technical, we like technical stuff. Yeah, we're, yeah, all, we're all gear yeah. heads. To make it really simple, they used Ari. <laughs> they used Ari cinematic cameras, which is no no surprise. Most movies today are. One of the neat things that they did is they they printed it on film after the fact. You know, so they had these imperfect lenses on these magnificent cameras, right? that get such a pure look in the first place. And then you put these imperfect lenses on them. And um, even to the point where they were putting silicone on the, on the lens surface to make, you know, when it was raining outside or something, you know, they wanted to make it look that way. Then they projected it and got it on, they printed it onto film mm-hmm. to give it that more seventies, eighties uh, thriller look, you know, like mm-hmm. even like the Godfather, it, it kind of had the Godfather feel to it in some places. It did. And it felt like a horror movie. Really yeah, to yeah, me, a lot in a lot of ways. It did, and um, once they did that, then they did a, be- a bleach bypass on the film, which is a process to to remove vibrancy and some saturation, and and kind of do some things to give it the look that it had, and then they scanned it back in to improve upon the look. And using the technology we have today, you can you know with, as long as it's digital, you can do a whole lot more to it. So. It was a long process to get that look. Mm-hmm. Uh, anamorphic lenses, in just by design, typically do have a little bit of a, a vignetting in the corners, and they they sometimes have uh, a lot of blur in the edges in the corners. And this seemed to be even more pronounced because they were using imperfect lenses. So it, it the the theory is it it focused you more on what was going on in the scene versus what's going on on the edges. Mm-hmm. It, it did bring it down. Now there's been complaints on the internet. People, it was too blurry. I don't like the way this looks and uh, it's too dark, you know, just the typical nonsense. But if you go into a theater, this is my, this is my take on this. If you go to the theater where it's already dim or dark in the theater and you're watching it and the movie was made to be watched on a theater screen mm-hmm. 
and you've got, you know, 7.1 surround sound or, or, or maybe you got really good Dolby sound that, you know, they, they really put some money into the sound system of the theater. You're, you're better off. You're watching this. The highlights are bright enough. In fact, there were places in the movie sitting in the theater where it's just too much. It's like, wow, that's really bright, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> your eyes adjust to the darkness. And then when you're brought into that light, it's like, wow, that's, that's fantastic. But that whole dynamic range to me artistically was just fantastic. I hope I'm getting this across that, you know, it's more than just the story at this point. You know, I I can listen to somebody read me a book, right? Mm -hmm. And that's listening to the story. But once you add the visuals and you get that dirtiness, that griminess of of Gotham, right? And that look of the 70s, because let's let's face it, this is this is an 80-year-old character at this point. You know, DC Comics come out with this, uh, Detective Comics originally mm-hmm. come out with year one and started going with all this stuff and then um, put it out there so that people had something to read. These these graphic novels, they had this opportunity to read something that really made you think that, hey, this, this guy's got a, a really tough childhood, even though he's a billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. And he wants vengeance. So you're watching this thinking, yeah, he wants vengeance. And, and I don't want to get too much into the story here without hearing your take on the overall look of the cinematography. I didn't understand that. I just thought it looked great. <laughs> Once again, I didn't you're know, a nerd. I didn't <laughs> look. I went there just excited to just see what the new the new take on. I mean, Batman's been done to death. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Joker's been done to death. Mm-hmm. Been it's just it's been done. We've had how many actors have we had here in, in the past? We've had six six different Batman. Yeah. I mean, it's like come on, but. I, I didn't suck my gut in. You took a picture of it, but <laughs> <clears throat> sorry. So, so I just wanted to just enjoy oh. it and try to keep an open mind. And, and, and yeah. I felt like that uh, from some of the stuff that leaked, I thought, well, this looks promising. We'll see. And I mean, it just it uh, it far surpassed my my expectations. I mean, I just thought it had a good look. I had a good pacing. You hand me a sheet here, so it says edited by William Hoy and. Tyler Nelson, I felt like the editing was really good. Yep. Even in three hours, I can't really think of anything that I could think of that could have been cut out. I mean, it just, it was really good pacing-wise, even for that that length yeah. of time. You didn't feel like it was slow? Because I've read so many comments, and I was thinking maybe it was me, right? And I was like, oh, I didn't think it was slow. No, I didn't think it was slow, but I mean, I'm, I like for things to build up, but I felt like it, I felt like it just, it was moving forward. It didn't really, it, it wasn't moving a hundred mile an hour, but I felt like right. it was continually moving forward. And it, for what all this different shit that you said earlier, I was kind of starting to zone out. Yeah, um, I think so. About all I this, had to cut all that out because it was just too much. About all this technical, <laughs> technical stuff. I didn't notice none of that. I just thought it looked cool. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, it was visually interesting. And, yeah. and there was a lot of tension there with, I mean, basically you got the Riddler as a, as a serial killer. Pretty yeah, much. And absolutely. I mean, it was cool. I, I mean, I really. Yeah. And Paul Dano did a fantastic oh, job yeah. in that position. Don't you think? Oh, I yeah. mean, the, it was creepy. It's absolutely creepy, but intelligently creepy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too. They showed, you know, so this is early in Batman's career was where this movie takes place. Yeah. It's a little bit different than some yeah. of the other takes. And he's not sure of himself and he's still and he's scared. Of different things. And he's he out for vengeance, actually. And, and he don't know what he's doing. Right. Yeah. He Did wore, you catch the part? I got to interrupt you there because you, this is a perfect point for that. Did you catch the part when he was on the cafe racer, the motorcycle he had uh, for running around town, right? Not the bat bike, but the actual more like, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne riding around on my bike kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he, he goes down the stairs into the train uh, tunnel that leads under Wayne Tower. Mm-hmm. And he goes into the back cave, so to speak. It's not actually under Wayne Manor, like like everything else has been. And he gets in there. And he's got a journal where he's writing down all the stuff after he after he basically kicked everybody's ass there at the train station. You know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. So he writes down the journal, but in the journal, when he shuts it, it says uh, Gotham Year Two. Oh, I didn't catch. I don't yeah. know if I caught that or not. Yeah, yeah it's really subtle. But, like, you just know, too, like, when he's up on the roof and he's scared to jump and all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he hasn't found us. Yes. He hasn't found his own yet. Yeah. Um, I didn't like his boots. That's the only thing that kind of took me out of it. They were just, they just look like 
and Com- yeah, combat. They boots were just regular. boots that come yeah. off the shelf at you know the Army mm-hmm. Navy place or whatever. But uh, in some ways, though, that's kind of good because yeah, the whole thing was kind of patched together. It was even, more, even the yeah, there was realism. It was all tactical. It was more all in you know rooted in reality. So it just to me, they just seemed a little bit just too. Yeah, he's a billionaire. Walmartish. Could have bought me. something better. But he's at better the, gear. At the same time, yeah, you know, he wants to. He wants to use what works, whatever, you know. How about that car? That's another thing, too, when we were talking about this. I think it's interesting talking about art. You think of all the Batmobiles that we've had recently. You got that that ultra-militaristic in the Christian Bale series. Yeah, Um, the 66 series, 1966 series. That car was just... that's iconic. Yeah. That's the Batmobile. And then you had that wild-ass jet engine one that, that Michael Keaton drove. Yeah. Um, can't really remember the one Affleck was in. I kind of do. I think it was kind of like squatted, but yeah. Um, I thought this was a great. This was a great car. You know, we're a car yeah. country, and yeah. it's we love cars. And I thought it was great. Yeah, or it looked like my old Challenger that yeah, yeah. I don't have <laughs> right. anymore. But it, it. What's neat about that is it. Uh, the engine in the rear was for visual appeal for the movie, mm-hmm. right? It showed the jet, and the intake was on the hood, and that sort of thing to feed the jet. And uh, in reality, it had an LS3 big block engine in the front. And uh, man, it just, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like really kind of into that. Um, and the tires, the tires just really, oh, yeah. I mean, it's massive tire. It almost looked like a, a late model dirt racer, mm-hmm. you know, oval track dirt, dirt car um, kind of a thing. Like he just fabricated it and using his money and all that. But I don't know, it, it, the battering ram part of it. Uh, Matt Reeves talked about it in uh, the the doc uh, the the part where he does the commentary mm-hmm. of the movie. Uh, and yes, I've listened to all three hours of the commentary. Christ, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. He talks about a lot of stuff, but uh, he talked a little bit about you know how Stephen King had had uh, the was a fifty eight Plymouth uh, or Christine. Mm-hmm. How you know the car was just the car had a a horror effect of its own, like just bring fear to yeah. the people. You know, that was, that's the whole idea with, uh, this character, I think, is that you were talking about his, his, uh, his hero's journey, so to speak, that we're all used to, you know, and, and I, I need to dive into this a, just a second, but I love the fact that they didn't go through the murder in the alley like they do in every, yeah, every me too. movie. I felt the same way. You know, I was, I was kind of happy they did that. I was happy that Bruce Wayne didn't have this, I'm Batman kind of. <laughs> You know what I mean? He didn't have that whole over-the-top guttural sound. It was just more, he was such a peaceful, stoic kind of a character. Mm-hmm. But then he unleashed Fury when he was out as Batman in the shadows and stuff. And and the villains were fearful of it. Uh, that part where the drophead was oh, yeah. in, in the beginning robbing that convenience store. And he looks up and sees the the bat symbol in the air, and he just kind of has that fear, like I don't, I'm not going into that shadow because he might be in there and that sort of thing. So it's there's there's a lot of it. I mean, every movie has a hero's journey, right? It starts out with basically a problem, a journey, a growth. Something happens to make them change, and by the end, they, they've they've have some sort of resolution of their life, and they become something else. And I think this movie does that well because in the beginning, he wants vengeance. It's almost like his fury comes out, especially in that train scene where he mm-hmm. just he just completely loses it, you know, on these guys, these thugs uh, that probably, you know, to his character, feel like the people who killed his parents, right, right, and and he just goes off, right. He's not even he doesn't even have a very beautiful fighting style at this point. It's just really raw street fighter kind of a look, and. As he progresses, he realizes that he, he he can cross that line, just like Paul Dano's character of the Riddler crossed the line. Because mm-hmm. I think they both want the same thing, mm-hmm. but the Riddler went about it in a more sinister way that he was just going to take lives to prove a point. That eliminates the justice system. And in, in Gotham, clearly they have a messed up justice system because there's too many people on the take, right? There's too many people who are corrupt. There's too many people who are just just messed up. And mm-hmm. the realization that Bruce Wayne figures out that Tom Wayne, his father, put together a lot of things that may have made him start to cross that line as mm-hmm. well, I think really had an impact on him 
he realized that at this point he's going to have to be the hope for Gotham. And this is why I think it really sets up a lot of future movies in this version. I, I don't think this version covers up Zack, Zack Schneider's version at all. I think this is just, in a lot of ways, probably more related to the Gotham TV series. Like like it's an extension of that. Like things finally moved into things. And uh, I don't know. I hope I'm making sense of this because I really, I've studied this. I, I got the book earlier this week and I said, hey, we have, we're about to do the show on this right now. and. I've went through the book. I haven't got to read all of it yet, but I've, I've watched all the deleted scenes. I've, uh, what do uh, you think of the Joker? I still have some reservations on that. I think overall, I'm pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the fact that it wasn't a typical, hey, he fell in a, a vat and got all colorful and, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. Because uh, from what I'm gathering, this is more of a, like he was born this way or has some sort of, affliction that mm-hmm. makes him this way uh matt reeves talks about it more like the elephant man type of thing where it's just out of his control he did is born this way and um rather even rather than a cut like uh heath ledger's mm-hmm. uh joker had um so i i'm excited about that i was in fact after the movie uh you could go to the same website that batman went to mm-hmm. the uh rata whatever um, Ratatouille which, 5000, yeah. <laughs> right. Which was the, uh, the, the Riddler's website where mm-hmm. he was doing all this stuff. And you, you get that same little prompt in green that, you know, has a little question mark in it. And you have to answer questions for the riddles. And the riddles come directly out of the movie, actually. Uh, but, but if you, if you were a student and listened carefully, you'd, you'd be able to get them. And once you answer that, you got, to unlock the deleted scene, the full five minutes of, of talking with the Joker. Um, or you can just pull it up on YouTube. Well, I did that after to watch more of it. It's funny. I went back to the, the website to show some friends at work and it had this little thing come up like, like an FBI warning type thing, but it was the Gotham police saying this, this site's been taken down and you're like, Oh no, really? That's come on. pretty cool. So, uh, they, they did their job well, I think with this movie and putting a lot of different things into it. So I, I can't fault anybody for it. You know, I really can't. There's, I wanted to find something wrong with it. I really did. I looked mm-hmm. at it going. Gollum as, uh, as, uh, Alfred was great too. <laughs> right. Uh, see, I see him more as, uh, as the planet of the apes guy, you know, uh, oh, yeah. uh what was his name in the planet <clears throat> of the apes? Cause he played the ape. Yeah. Uh, uh Whatever the fuck. I can't remember. But, and he's in Marvel movies as, as Kang. And, yeah. Um, yeah. He was yeah. in another Andy movie. Andy Circus. Yeah. Right. He was also in a video game called um, Heavenly Sword. And yeah. Fantastic. And yeah. did all the motion capture stuff. It's yeah. really interesting. Uh, he's a hell of an actor. The cinematographer. We've talked about cinematography so much. We didn't even mention who the cinematographer was. You you have his name there, right? He goes... He did... Craig Dune. Frazier. Yeah, Craig Frazier. He... He's worked with Matt Reeves on lots of other movies, but he also did uh, Dune. He was a oh. cinematographer on that, which we've talked about in another episode. But uh, I, I'm really, really kind of interested in this team because this team goes all the way back to Cloverfield, right? Oh, really? Yeah, and the, the Apes movies, the newer ones, uh, mm. War of the Apes, Planet of the Apes, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the actors were there. I guess Robert Pattinson was in mind for this position as Batman way back when they started the writing process. Hmm. So, uh, and brought in the Kurt Cobain thing. Uh, Matt Reeves talks about this. Oh yeah. That was killer. Uh, about a really good way of using it. Yeah. Tune. And, yeah, and yeah. I don't even like Nirvana. And I think that song was just spot on yeah. for this, but yeah, he, he wanted that darker look. He wanted that, you know, this kid grew up as an orphan, though rich. He grew up a, with no family except for Alfred. Right. And in this Gothic cathedral of a building, uh, and presumably at the Wayne Manor as well. But he, uh, you no doubt had emotional scars. Oh, from yeah. all of this. But if you're going to be an orphan, it's better be a rich orphan. I would say, but it was still a very dark, dark position to be in. You know, I mean, it's yeah. Gotham in, in general is, is a horrible city. <laughs> and, and I always wonder, I've always wondered this, even as a kid, I was like, well, if you've got so much money, why don't you leave? <laughs> Yeah, but he's in, it's, you know, you know Gotham's a kind of a allegory for New York. You're not going to yeah, leave yeah. New York. 
Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But the thing that strikes me is, um, and I should have this information, but I don't. So you got Bob Kane, and who was the artist that uh, that originated uh, uh, Batman and comics? In the front of the book, uh, McKelly, Macchioli. Can't remember his name. Uh, um, so you think you think about all the, what'd you say eighty years ago? Yeah, this guy come up with this other guy and talked about this concept and drew this costume. Mazza Kelly. What is it? Mazza Kelly. M-A-Z-Z-U-C-C-H-E-L-L-I. A lot of double letters there. And there's a lot of different, there's been a lot of different uh, versions of it. The black suit, the the blue and gray with the, um, with the yellow. Yeah. With the yellow badge behind the bat. Um, the different dark blues, the different, uh, the different belts, all this different stuff, but it's still, it's iconic. When you see it, no matter what it looks like, you know that it's Batman. Yes. Now, how, how fucking amazing is that to have created something so iconic that they're still talking about it now and they're still doing different variations of your design now? I mean, yes. that's just, yeah. And it's uh, as an artist, I just, yeah, that's, uh, it's like the perfect cover song. <clears throat> yeah. You know, yes, yeah, somebody wrote it, but everybody can pull it off even 80 years later. Mm-hmm. It still has such a great melody. It's still, it's still based, got based on right. what they come up with. Yes. Yeah. And and that's, it's pretty cool, man. Cool. It really is. It really is. It's, it's interesting. And it's, um, I, any artist can get excited about, yeah. about that thought. Who yeah. wouldn't want to be responsible for something that iconic? Yeah. And, you, you know, the Batman character is, himself wasn't, you know, born on another planet or had some special His power. superpower is being rich. Just yeah. like in the Ben Affleck version. <laughs> right, I mean, it's the truth. Right, right. Yeah. And he, it was created out of, out of challenges. It was created out of his own personal mm-hmm. struggles and, and things that he had to come up with, you know, for answers. So, I mean, all of us can relate. All of us have these things, right? You know, we may not have a, a billion dollars or whatever to to do the different things like Batman does, but we've, we've got the opportunity to do things. And, and in a lot of ways, all of the characters in Gotham have something very similar, like Catwoman, uh, Zoe, um, Kravitz, Kravitz. Thank you. She has that position, you know, where she can do something good with her skills. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Dano's character of the Riddler was also in, uh, the, uh, orphanage. Right. So he had that, that same trajectory of growing up mm-hmm. that Bruce Wayne did without the money. And without the Alfred. Yeah. Without Alfred. Yeah. Alfred was a former MI6. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, he taught him how to fight, taught him how to think. And that bringing this home for me, you know, I grew up for years thinking DC meant dark comics. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from, but I always thought that that's, that's what DC stood for. And cause they were just a little darker. They didn't have that cotton candy appeal. Like, like Marvel, not, not trying to pick on Marvel here. Cause I like Marvel, but it was a lot more dark. Mm. Right. And I didn't realize until really until this movie, when I started researching for the show and, and going through the book and watching all the deleted scenes and the behind the scenes stuff that no, it, it means detective comics. And I love that they put that into this movie where Bruce Wayne was, we'll say Batman was the ultimate detective, mm-hmm. right? It showed him doing the investigations. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't just about beating yeah. people up and Yeah, and he wasn't perfect. Right. They they were constantly and he needed help. He needed help from everybody. There were there's that whole concept of, well, why would he need help? You know, and, and I I can I can see both sides of that story. There's that whole concept of, well he's Batman. He shouldn't he's if he's the ultimate detective, he shouldn't need anybody's help. But I love that he formed a bond with Gordon in this mm-hmm. lieutenant lieutenant uh detective gordon at this point he's not commissioner gordon yet where Spoiler. They, yeah where they they kind of they kind of bond so to speak so mm-hmm. it, it builds a trust and plus it's year two yes this uh, you know yeah, he's, a, so he's a young guy he's he's not going to be the batman he's yeah. going to be in yeah. 10 years yeah you want to know something interesting you know talking about the comics so there's a really good graphic novel series of the um shoot is it killing joke no killing joke is it killing joke Killing, I, I think it's you're losing me. I have no idea. Well, I can't remember. See, one of them, the Joker shoots and rapes uh, Batgirl, who's Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Um, okay. Bat, Batgirl's commission. Yeah. And I can't remember if it's the one where he blows up. 
Jason Todd, who was the second Joker, or the second Robin, I mean. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember. He beats him with a crowbar and blows him up and everything, yeah. kills him. So way back when, in the in the um, early 90s, you know, Dick Grayson, the original Robin, mm-hmm. went on to be Nightwing, and they brought in this character, Jason Todd, to be, back, to be uh, Robin. Yeah. Well, they had a phone-in thing where you could call this one number if you wanted to wanted Robin to live and you call this other <laughs> number if you wanted Robin to die. Yeah. And Barry Bennett, who was the owner of the local comics shop at the time that I used to go every, I spent $20 a week every week <laughs> on comics there. Yeah. He called like, I can't remember, like 50 or a hundred times. And that ended up being the difference to get Robin killed. And then they, uh-huh. and he said that he just felt like they'd bring in a new and better character. And they did. They brought in uh, Tim Drake, yeah. who was a, uh, a non-orphan, yeah. And but he had like a really, it was really different contrast to, to Batman. Yeah. He was a great character. He was my favorite Robin. But it's just interesting here in Chilcotti, and you know Barry <laughs> Bennett from right. here. He killed Robin, and that's what kind yeah. of what he was known in town in the comic book <laughs> circle. See, I used to be a geek too. Yeah, uh, you still are. I know, but uh, he's known as the man that killed Robin. Yeah, that's I, I cool. like that. I like that. That uh, in the TV series of Gotham, uh, Ed. Nigma, who plays uh, the Riddler, which is not the same name given yeah, to right. Ed in this one. I, I can't remember Ed's last name. Edward something. Scissorhands, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway, Ed Nigma, the guy, the character who plays the Riddler on the Gotham series, is, is from Ohio. Also, he's Columbus area. Oh, like yeah. That. yeah. That's interesting. I've never watched Gotham, but. Yeah. It's. What about Colin okay. Farrell in this movie? If oh, I didn't yeah, know yeah, it was we gotta, him. Yeah, we got to talk about Would that. you even know? No. Um. He was definitely channeling his yeah. uh, inner Robert De Niro. I almost let us pass through that and just scope right over it. I think I think of all the characters in this. I mean, I loved Paul Dano's character. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And, and uh, even the Ave Maria singing that he did in in Arkham Asylum was actually pretty good because mm-hmm. uh, that that song is actually played quite a bit in this movie. It's it's integral to the beginning of the movie. It's integral to the end of the well, movie. Well, how would you know you were late? Um, because I've watched it six times okay. in the last week, All I can right. tell you, uh, not a lie. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't even want to get into all that. But uh, the the just the prosthetics that they used, you know, the 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 makeup, and I mean, I guess there's a story that he, Colin Farrell, went into uh, a coffee shop in full costume, and nobody knew who he oh, was. Oh no, yeah, how would you? You know, so I mean, it's it's just crazy. And I like the fact that they used subtle purple. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't over the top purple. Uh, the Gotham series, Oz Cobblepot, mm-hmm. who is the penguin, um, walked like a penguin, kind of had that, that look about him, which I, I get that. It, it's a creative take on it, but I like the fact that Colin Farrell was more of a... He was a, like an 80s gangster. Yeah, yeah, he was a brutal, brutal underboss. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. he, was, he was vying for the top, mm-hmm. and he had anger built up in him, but he wasn't able to call the shots yet, and that was pretty cool, I think. He he had that that look about him. He had that look of, you know, he would have fit in fine on The Sopranos, mm-hmm. honestly. Exactly. At the same time, these movies. It was hard to see Colin Farrell in that. Oh yeah, you couldn't. I mean, I I tried. I tried over and over. It didn't have the Irish accent. Didn't no. have any of that going on. And it's like you look at him and think, and he looked like a penguin. His eyebrows were were shaped like a penguin's eyebrows, and yet his nose had this little peak to it. And, these uh, movies work when they don't realize that they're they're in a superhero type movie. Yeah. Nobody realized that they, you know, everybody played it very straight and yeah. it, it really worked. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. I got to give credit to the uh, makeup guy, Mike Marino. That's not on uh, the sheet. Makeup designer, Naomi Donnie. Uh, supervising costume effects modeler was Pierre Bohana. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a bit going on here. The prosthetic artist himself was uh, Mike Fontaine. Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, Mike Fontaine. Mike Fontaine. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much there. The creative team in, involved in this entire movie was just just fantastic. I mean, Industrial Light and Magic was involved in it. And speaking of which, I want to I want to mention this technology that was being used. We're we're so used to green screen, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's been used forever, pretty much. But there's some inherent problems with that. You know. Uh, the, Modern day, we're getting pretty good at getting rid of the green tinge that happens on the edges, right? It doesn't look like an 80s film where they, they mm-hmm. clipped it out or something. But you're still getting reflections from it. And I think for the actor, it's probably better to work in the environment than it is to work in a green scene 
set or a green screen scene set, I should say. So what they did is they used uh, LED volume um, sets, very similar to what they did on the Mandalorian. And uh, in fact, the the cinematographer Frazier, yeah, he is it spelled like Krieg because you got G R E I. Gee, yeah, is yeah, that he's, right? he's Australian, so they, they. So maybe it's Craig. Craig Fraser. I think it's Craig. I think it is Craig. Maybe it is Craig. 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 I don't know. Craig. I think it's, I think oh. it's Craig. Craig, call in here and uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah. You fucked your name up. But, I, hate, uh, I hate it. I, I do too. But uh, so this LED stuff. What they bring in big screens, yeah, and then you yeah, can see pre- what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's oh, projected. So, so the environment of Gotham was created before the movie rather than after. Yeah. So that when the actors are acting. They have everything around them that they need to see. And what I was going to say was Frazier was actually on uh, The Mandalorian as a cinematographer as well. So, oh, really? so he, he brought that technology with him and said, you yeah, know, let's, let's do this. It's fantastic technology. I think it's, it's, going to, it's going to really revolutionize how movies are made in the future. You know, I mean, think about it. If you got a reflective surface on an actor, like glasses or uh, armor or whatever, mm-hmm. Anything that that projector is going to put out is going to reflect properly, bringing in more realism than we had with green screen. Because green screen kind of skipped over that. We just didn't, if a car drove by and you heard the sound, Mm -hmm. there was no added effect. You know, you didn't have the lights from the headlights or the Mm -hmm. taillights or anything like that. So you just, you didn't have that reflection unless somebody was astute enough to try to get it in there with lighting alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Now it's another it's another source of light and visual that that goes along with it. And I think it, it just helps tell a story. So I mean, I had to bring that in. That was something kind of kind of interesting for this movie. But so to me, that whole gothic look is is achieved very well in this movie. You know, some of the other movies didn't they weren't terrible, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you go back to the nineteen sixties, uh, bang pow, right? The TV set it was it was kind of yeah. You know, but, but it's it was different 60s, though. It was right? a different kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It has a place. I yeah, think. but now it just—I mean, I want a room like that. Like when they're in the tower and uh, Andy Circus uh, is sitting at the the like a dining room table type type look, and he's working on um, trying not to get killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was working on the uh, the first bit. The, the first, you know, taking the, the clues that they were getting to try to find something. And he was, he was writing down some things and, and all that. But when he was in that room, I just, I want a room like that real bad, yeah. real, real bad. Right. <laughs> I want to dig a hole under my house and, and build a room like that. But I don't know. What'd you, what'd you think of the whole look of the movie? I like I mean, it. I, I know we talked about cinematography. It was ominous. But, you know, it had an ominous and it was, it was stuffy and. Yeah, like I said, it, it it reminded me there was a lot of similarities to Seven there for me, just the way yes. it, it looked and yeah. the way things were revealed and and there was a sense of dread and yeah, I mean I just felt like it they pulled it off as far as that and it, it didn't make me miss Christian Bale or or um you know the Nolan movies which right. I thought were great yes so there is um I was hoping to find it I can't seem to find it but uh, I'm not uh production designer maybe james chinland um might be in in charge of this i'm not 100 percent sure of the role for this this particular scene of gotham they're outside the iceberg lounge Mm -hmm. um iceberg yeah or penguins hangout yes i never even put those two together that's pretty good uh (laughs) and then the the subterranean version of was what 44 below is that right i can't i think so yeah so i don't know should have been 42 below because 42 is the answer to everything Anyway, um, the Riddler's apartment upstairs across the way, Mm -hmm. uh, the diner is right there. I mean, you got all this right there. It's like everything's happening Mm -hmm. right in the middle. It's almost like, you know, the place is small and and, uh, Catwoman's apartment is nearby and just all this stuff. And all of that was done in the movie specifically for this. It wasn't just location stuff. It was set. It was built this way. So the fact that they, the production designers put this together and just had it all worked out before any of this got going, to me, is just fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of that was done in VR, in fact. Prior to the movie being made, the uh, visual effects people would put together a VR set so that you could see where you needed to be. Where's the camera need to be? Uh-huh. Where do the actors need to be? And you know, set this up. And there's, there's parts in the book there that actually is just 
fantastic on there. They, they did you order this from detail. Amazon or did you go to an actual store and buy this? I got it on Amazon. I pre-ordered it. Uh, I didn't expect it until the 22nd. We're recording this on the 24th. It actually got here uh, on the 20th. I, I'm just, I'm enamored because I'm the type of guy who loves to read about the art of something. You know, the the scenes, the concept art, the, how they how they did it, how they put it together and all these things. I mean, obviously I've got the Star Wars books and everything mm-hmm. too, but there's just so much in in this movie to unpack. And I mean, we're, we're really... We're, we're really getting short on time for what we like to do for these, these shows. I could probably go another hour on it. I'm not going to, but I, I guess let's do a last call here so that everybody can kind of do their thing. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Last call. I don't want to ask the same questions over and over again, but right, what, what was your defining moment from the movie? The, for me, when he was getting ready to, when he was running from the cops, Mm-hmm. And you know he was in interrogation, and and Gordon helps him escape. Yeah, and he runs up to the top, and he's getting ready to glide off this thing, and he just like he's got cold feet and yeah. don't know if he can do it. And I was like, man, this is just I haven't seen this before. This is cool. This is something. This is something different. That was that was pretty much uh, that was a big moment. And then the um, the Riddler when he's in that apartment, he's just standing there. And he's standing there like forever and he's not moving and they don't, people's coming in and out and they don't know that he's in there and he's just waiting for his moment to kill this guy. That, those two things, it's just, this is a different, this is a different Batman than what I've seen before. Yeah. So it's part horror movie, part comic book. Right. Yeah. Yes. Very, very good on that part. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks. I think, (laughs) yeah, I think my defining moment really is is in the the character development, you know, the character arc of Batman. Because in the beginning, he starts out so vengeful, right? He Mm -hmm. just completely makes these thugs look terrible when they're picking on that guy from the train. The the taser in his glove was pretty cool, watching that guy just completely get lit up (laughs) by the taser. Uh, And and he walks out of the darkness, and they, you know, it it takes place on Halloween, right? So everybody's dressed up. So the the thug is like, what are you supposed to be? And he goes off on one of them and says, I'm vengeance. And it kind of gets the character started Mm -hmm. with, you know, now you get it. You know why he's he's just pissed. He's so tired of this. So, so tired of the nonsense. And by the end of the movie, when he almost loses um, Andy Serkis, he's, he's ready to lose him. And, and he was kind of a dick to him, too. Yeah, he was. For, and yeah, because in the beginning, he said, you're not my father, you know, yeah. and like literally come out and said, like, he's he's just a brooding brat mm-hmm. at this point in the beginning. And at the end, when when Circus's character is is hurt and in the hospital, you know, he realizes that's, that's all he's got. He's been a father figure for him for many years, you know, 20 years at the time of the movie, because it was the first the first killing, uh, obviously, of of Thomas Wayne and, and Martha Wayne. As his character arc goes, he gets grounded mm-hmm. and realizes that, you know, he's, he's got the people around him that he needs and the, the city needs him. So he's their hope. And instead of being vengeance, he kind of falls into the part of the Batman. And I think that's why the title of it's so good. It goes from being vengeance to the Batman, mm-hmm. right? And I struggled with that in the beginning. I was like, well, why are we going to call it the Batman? I mean, really, are you, are you claiming this is the best version of the movie? Huh. Um, that kind of stuff, it's real arrogant type thing, but it wasn't. I, th- I think it really just kind of falls under the idea that um, Batman Year 2 is coming into his own and realizing, realizing that he can't cross that line like Paul Dano's character did. He can't, he can't act like Zoe Kravitz and uh, the Catwoman. Uh, and and take out revenge on everybody. She's more revenge and stealing, uh, like a cat is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rather than trying to help out. Um, and and that was, I, mean, I know the defining moment you would think would be one thing, but I, I think the defining moment was my epiphany of realizing that you know Batman in this movie was starting out on one path, and by the end he realized what his true path should be. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. And it was done so creatively. Well, I think we got it. That's it. Kind of fun where this went. I can I can finally give it a rest watching 
I've been watching it all the time, <laughs> just constantly. I haven't watched it again yet. I might might this week sometime. So. Yeah, you can watch it on uh, HBO Max. Mm-hmm. It's out now. Is um, or you main... can steal it. Don't. But do I have. But no, I have HBO do Max. That. Really, don't do that. Paul knows my position on that. But there, there's a lot of people involved now. I will say, we need to get into that too because people bring us up all the time. Well, they don't need my money, you know. Blah blah blah. I understand that they made nearly a billion dollars on this movie already. Just go see the movie. Um, go see it in a theater because I I feel like there's a huge difference between the theater and at home. And I've got a pretty decent home system where I can watch it and feel good about it. But uh, this this movie deserves to be seen on the big screen. So get out get out there and see it while you can. Hopefully, it'll still be in theaters by the time this airs. So any final thoughts for you, Paul? You know, there's better ways to channel your anger than becoming a psychotic uh, vigilante if uh, some bad stuff happens to you when you're a kid. So try to keep it together. There it was. Telling all the kids, just just let go, man, let go. You can't just, you know, at the end of the day, he's not not judge, jury, and executioner. So, you know. (laughs) You might end up like the DA if you're not careful. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right. I think that's all we got. Is there anything else? Do we want to say anything else at all? Anything? I don't know. I think right. I think, think everything that we've said. Do you like that drink? I did like it. Yeah. I think capes are dangerous. Capes are dangerous. Did you watch? Uh, you watch? Uh, what's the Zack they, Snyder movie? They um, already turned us off, man. This, this show's over. I don't care. Uh, what? What's that movie? Uh, Three hundred. No, the other one. Um, Watchmen. Yeah, and they talk yeah. about how anybody with a cape always ends up getting killed because yeah. it's dangerous. And yeah. I, I did think of that a few times when I was watching it. <laughs> and it's like, man, that cape would just get get in the way. But yeah, it I mean, would. it's bulletproof and it helps him glide. So I mean, there yeah. is a purpose at least to it. Yeah. But it would you'd have to be really careful. What did you think of the the bat symbol well, in the front being a knife? I thought that was cool. cool. Neat integration. So, all right, share this episode. A batarang. Really, Paul? We're going to do this again? Yeah. Right in the middle of my thing? Well, it's not just a knife. It's a batarang. It's a batarang. Yeah. You fuck. Nine. There it was. Now I got to go explicit. I was trying to keep it out. <laughs> Paul ruined it. You can beat it. You foul mouth person, you. All right. We do this every episode, folks. If you like this, please share it and tell your friends. Uh, <laughs> you can listen to this uh, wherever podcasts are made. Yeah, thanks uh, for all of you listening. Share your time with us. <laughs> Well, <laughs> until next time, may your drinks be tasty and your muse thirsty. thirsty. See you, folks. <laughs>